0: Rob, I'm to tell you that you know I mentioned in the com- in the uh, spoiler videos that my I I have enjoyed Falcon and Winter Soldier up until now. I've enjoyed it, but I haven't loved it. You know, I certainly have preferred Wandavision up until this point, but then that newest episode hit, which <laughs> I think actually I I contend I think it's arguable that that one episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier might potentially at least be in the discussion of the best single episode of anything disney plus has put out so far i mean it was it was a nearly perfect episode of television it had incredible drama it had wonderful character work it had heart heart beating and heart breaking action it had a stunning ending it, it just gave multiple dimensional layers and all the characters going on there several huge moments it was incredible and of course, it left us just wanting more. With that last final image of John Walker holding Cap shield covered in blood, it, it just created an image that I'll never forget. I'll never forget. But it made me wondering about what's going to happen, where are we going next? Well, a new trailer dropped this morning for Falcon Winter Soldier Episode 5, and it is great. Now, most of the trailer is about a minute and 25 seconds long. Most of it is just replaying footage that have been in other episodes. But then it comes down to this scene where the three of them are facing off against each other, and you hear Sam say, We don't want anybody else to get hurt. And then a close up shot on John Walker, Walmart Captain America, saying, You don't want to do this. And then the camera going to Bucky. Just a solemn, serious face looking down, then his eyes look up and says, "Yeah, we do. And I was just like, Why? I'm like, well, I just Robin, I just watched that now. I just watched the trailer right now, and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm looking at my watch. How close is it to Friday? The countdown clock has got to start. Dude, it was amazing and it's all set up by how great that last episode was truly a phenomenal episode and this is the type of little tease for what's coming up that we all want to see i love this little trailer spot uh rob you know i haven't had a chance to ask you yet you know to me that was a turning point episode for falcon and winter soldier that was well there have certainly been moments in falcon and winter soldier that i've loved up until now it's been, it's been fairly pedestrian. Look, I'm enjoying it. I like it. Some great, great moments and scenes. But to me, this last episode was the fulfillment of the promise of what this show could be. And I loved it, which just makes this new teaser, you know, even more exciting to me. But Rob, you know, you're, what did you think coming out of that last episode and that last scene Now we see this trailer about, yeah, we do want to do this. How much does that hype you up?
1: Dude, I have to say that, you know, this show to me has been giving me everything that I wanted. And, you know, there's a lot of people that talked about the politicization of the show when when the police stopped them when they were visiting Jose uh, Isaiah and. Um, and I, I thought that this, what I love about this show is the questions that it poses about the MCU itself. Yes. What, it, what is the state of the MCU's world? And we've only really ever seen it through the eyes of the Avengers. But now we're seeing the broader implications. And I think that, it, you know, for me, in a fictional universe, when they're talking about how the fictional universe works, such as what is the impact to the world when half the population that disappeared that the world acclimated to suddenly shows back up on your doorstep and i'm i'm like this is this is grand world building and we're seeing it we saw a little bit of it uh, beginning with uh wandavision we're seeing more of it now and i find it not that's fascinating but then they're getting into the implications of things about you know once again what the sokovia accords brought up in Civil War. What is the responsibility that metahumans have to the greater good? What happens when, you know, you're dealing with a terrorist organization like the Flag Smashers who have killed civilians and then turn around and kill Battlestar? You know, I mean, this show is grappling with great storytelling issues, great world building issues that have broader ramifications for us, the viewing audience. It makes us you know, crunch these difficult ethical questions over in our minds. Yeah. And to me, what's so great is that as fantasy entertainment goes, this is top drawer fantasy entertainment. And I, I'm i hoping, unlike, say, WandaVision, which didn't stick the landing, what they've brought up, they've taken a character, the John Walker U.S. agent character. A lot of people have been reading a lot of things about, maybe this isn't the Captain America we want, but he's the Captain America we deserve Now. I mean, this is this is some heady stuff. And I'm 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 there for it, John. I I I really have been loving this show. It's been on an upward trajectory for me. And I was shocked by the end of this last episode. Yeah. That final shot was disturbing, but it made me think that they've they killed. John Walker's, I mean, uh, his man at arms. Yeah. You know, I mean, they'd been in Afghanistan. How long have they had fought together? And John Walker is already dealing with. I mean, the fact that he's musing over, would you take that serum? He's grappling with the ethical considerations of what he's done. He probably was suffering from PTSD from his time in the military. Sure. Yeah. This is a really interesting show. And I think it's another triumph for Marvel. Yeah,
0: One of the really interesting things about it, too, is that. You, know, uh, you mentioned you were horrified at that final image, right? My, I was saying on the spoiler discussion, I also felt my heart breaking for John yes. Walker because this yes. is what I love. Every character, whether it's Zemo, the Dora Milaje, uh, Carly, uh, John Walker, everybody has multiple dimensions and multiple layers. John Walker, at the end of the, he just he wanted to do good. And when it all started out, he wanted to live up to this ideal. He wanted to be this, that, but... And we're finding out more and more, Rob, that Dr. Erskine, who's, you know, the one who created Steve in the first place, the one who created the super soldier serum. Now we understand why he was so meticulous about finding the one true character person who could do this because, you know. You also look through the show and I looked up now to this new trailer of him facing off against Sam and Bucky and saying, you don't want to do this. I felt my heartbreaking for him because he wanted, his intentions were good, but whether it's a mixture of PTSD, his own internal brokenness, and then throughout this show so far, we've seen him being rejected and failing the whole time. Sam and Bucky reject him. Guys are spitting in his face. He's fighting Dora Milaje who beat his ass, and he's like, they weren't even super soldiers. Compounded. How great, was, how great is
1: the portrayal of Dora Milaje? Oh, with, uh,
0: F me. Amazing.
1: And, and Florence, who plays... Uh, uh, you know, I say Ayo, but I think that's a mispronunciation of the character's Io. name. Ayo. Ayo. First of all, when she's first introduced, I, I don't think I've seen a more beautiful woman on screen before when she's fixing... She's helping Bucky out. I mean, oh. she's got such an ethereal presence. But man, did they kick ass.
0: Oh, they, they were so... So good, but Zemo, right? Ugh, you're finding dude. out more and more as John Walker devolves, you're realizing Zemo's philosophy is actually correct. Carly, she's she's a villain in the show, but you under like like Sam says to her, your cause is right. Your cause is right. I just don't like the way you're doing it. The Dormelage, yep. you're messing up Sam and Bucky's plans. Well, of course we are. That dude killed our king. You know, so everyone has these multiple dimensions and motivations that are all coming to a head. And then when I watch this trailer and I see Sam and Bucky now just squarely facing off with John Walker and him saying, you don't want to do this. And Bucky saying, yeah, we do. i was just like, <laughs> I'm just like, this is I can't wait to see. this. I love the trailer. Question is for you guys. Have you guys had a chance to see this new little motion trailer spot for the upcoming Falcon Winter Soldier episode five? I'm, I love it personally. What did you guys think? Jump into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. Got a couple more things off the top. Let's bring this one up next. You know, Rob, I, you know me. My second favorite day of the year, other than Christmas. Christmas is still my absolute favorite day of the year. Other than Christmas, my favorite day of the year is not my birthday. Making sure Ann's not around. It's not my anniversary. Uh Uh-oh. She saw that. It's the Oscars. The Oscars are my second favorite day of the year. But you know that this year I have very little interest in the Oscars, I think because of the COVID and pandemic. And and we've had debates about this, and that's fine. You may have a different opinion than me, guys. But I'm just not interested in award season this year because it's just too much of an asterisk year, in my opinion. That's just me. You may feel differently, and that's fine. But something really did catch my attention, which was – You know, the Directors Guild of America, which is, of course, all the directors in Hollywood, they have their annual awards where they hand out, you know, who they feel is. All the directors say, we feel this is the best of us this year. And for only the second time in its 73-year history, the DGA have crowned a woman as their director of the year in chloe Zhao, the director of nomadland and of course the upcoming marvel film the eternals uh and she was she was appointed as by the GGS director of the year. i believe she also won best director of the year the baftas that was just kind of handed out but again very significant not since um uh uh, uh hurt locker james cameron's ex-wife uh why am i forgetting her her name um Uh, Catherine Bigelow Catherine Bigelow thank you who also directed Detroit a couple years ago which is another powerful powerful film but anyway Catherine Bigelow I believe it was in 2009 that Catherine Bigelow won Best Director with the DGAs for Hurt Locker this is now just the second time it's happened and again as somebody who is a fan of comic book movies knowing that this is the director of Eternals gets me very very excited now Rob it still kind of stuns me how many people have not Watched, um, have not watched Nomad Land. It's kind of sweeping up all the awards. Again, I don't really care about the awards this year per se. I normally do, but not this year. But I'll tell you what Nomad Land is a, you know, a lot. Of, I get it. There's no giant lizards and monkeys fighting each other. There's no robots from outer space shooting a laser out of their eyes. There's no superheroes turning back time or altering reality. I get it. Nomad Land, though, is basically human storytelling perfection. It, I, am, I get wrapped up in the true human experiences and emotions and, and bigger questions about life and what makes happiness happen, what makes fulfillment happen, what makes you feel like you're living your life. And like Nomadland and Francis McDermott, who's just kills it again, and it's all performance and direction. And when you get a director who doesn't need to rely on, and this is no disrespect to, to our big sci-fi, epic comic book movie directors, not at all. You know, I, that's my bag. I love that stuff. But when you can get a director who doesn't have giant robots or superheroes or monsters or lasers or visual effects and blah, and can just tell a story that enraptures your imagination and your thoughts and makes you feel philosophical, if you will, for nearly two hours, she just did an amazing thing. And now you take somebody who can tell stories on that level, And you give them the big visual effects, Rob, you give them the big budgets, you give them the big stars and the big superhero stuff, and you give them all that when they're already one of the finest storytellers in the world. It's a very exciting thing. Rob, I think this is an incredibly significant thing, number one, being only the second woman ever to win this thing. But it's also very exciting knowing that this is the person who's delivering us one of the more highly anticipated comic book movies later this year. Rob, you heard about Chloe Zhao winning this award. What are your reactions to that?
1: Well, I, you know, I have to say that I, I think it's terrific. I think now I have not seen, to be fair, I have not seen Nomadland. But, you know, John, I've, I've sort of been I've always believed that best picture winners have to have sort of a, a universality to them, a timeless quality to them. Something that leaps beyond maybe the genre they're from or the traditional uh, narrative that they do something that will transcend the time in which they're made. And, you know, this this rumination on sort of these Americans that have dropped out of of typical the typical American lifestyle and are creating another lifestyle that's sort of also uniquely American, albeit very different, uh, interests me greatly. And Frances McDormand also picked up a Best Actress Award. The cinematography picked up an award at the BAFTAs. So, uh, you know, this kind of a movie I think this is the kind of cinema that, to be honest, I kind of crave. And I was really hoping to see this on a big screen, to be honest. I know it's now it's on it's streaming, but I think it's great. And I think the fact that, you know, Chloe Zhao is an immigrant from 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 China. She's she's Chinese born, came to America and, and has worked her way up in the industry. And man, as I've always said, how cool is it? that Kevin Feige tapped her, saw something in her. Once again, Kevin Feige, what other studio would hire her? Now they'll hire her. But before she'd done this to make a 150 million to 200 million dollar tentpole movie. And she was hired because apparently, as we've heard reported, it was her take. Her take on the Eternals is what convinced Kevin Feige and her and her work, obviously, but her take to go with her. And that's that's how the business is supposed to work. You know, and to me, once again, Marvel has displayed their thinking out of the box and they are rewarded for the symbiotic relationship they have with their filmmakers. Mm. And I think it's great. You know, side note here.
0: side note. You know, I think we need to do maybe sometime this week we'll cover this as its own standalone topic because we might have to make this a topic. Whenever the discussion about the greatest actress of all time comes up, There are a few standard names, understandably so, that gets brought up. The name Frances McDermott never does get brought up. Here's the reality, though. I believe she has been nominated for six or seven Academy Awards. She has two Best Actress Academy Awards already sitting on her mantle. All right, for Fargo, which she was so good in Fargo, and for Three Billboards, which is one of the best leading lady performances I've ever seen her in three billboards. She is the lead favorite right now to also win the Academy Award this year for this. Now, granted, I, I still think it's a bit of an asterisk here, but that aside, if she wins, she will have three, three Best Lead Actress Academy Awards sitting on her mantle. Does she need to be in the discussion of the greatest actress of all time? Should she be in that conversation, Rob?
1: Yes. I mean, (laughs) dude, I'm looking it up. She has been nominated for Best Actress and Best Support for Academy Awards uh, six times. In In 89, she was nominated for Mississippi Burning. In 97 for Fargo as Best act that was supporting, Best Actress in Fargo, which she won. In 2001 for a movie I adore, Almost Famous. 2006 for North Country, those are both Best Supporting Actresses. In 2018, she was nominated for three billboards and won. And then, of course, for Nomadland, she was also uh, nominated, which she probably is going to win. And you know what? I I think you're absolutely right. She is easily one of our finest actresses working today, if not ever. I mean, go back all the way to 89. That's 32 years ago. So she's been in the discussion for more than a quarter century being nominated for Best Actress. And you know what I think? I'll tell you why I think that a lot of people, that she's our stealth Best Actress. That's a good way of putting it. She's our stealth Best Actress because she, to me, has peak verisimilitude in that she's almost chameleon-like because her, her features, she can be, she can, you know, dress up and look beautiful or she can dress down and her beauty is sort of removed and she becomes the every person she's totally chameleon-like and, and she can do almost anything. I mean, she plays a stern character, um, in Almost Famous, she plays a capable character who's very um, regional in Fargo. And, I, you know, I just think that she's her versatility is her strength. And, you know, people just they forget about her because she has that peak verisimility. You utterly believe that every act, every every role she takes, she just she becomes that she just adds to the reality of whatever it is that you're watching, and it—you don't even think she's acting. Yeah,
0: she's and, that good. Now, and 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 look, it, not not to say this is a runaway thing. This is going to this year's best actress race is actually a very, very, very tight race. It's very yes. tight. But I'm just saying, if she pulls out her third one, she's got to be in the conversation. I think, and. An amazing job being directed by Chloe Zhao. Again, only the second female director in the 73-year history of the DGA to win Best Director. And she's directing a Marvel movie coming up this year's Question is, guys, what do you think about that? Jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. We've got one more off the top to talk about here today, and, and that is this. This one's... Uh a little bit of walking on thin. I just want to be careful about this. I don't want, look, around here at the John Camp Show, we don't talk about politics. Uh, we we leave politics to be discussed by, you know, uh, newsmakers and other people who specialize in that. That is not what we do. But I do like to talk about the effects certain issues are having on the movie industry itself and what those effects may be. For those of you who don't know, there's something going on in Georgia, and I really don't care what your position on it is, just as I'm sure you don't care about what my position on this is. But there's an issue going on in Georgia where there is a series of laws that are being passed that some people are defining as being specifically designed to be restrictive. In other words, they're trying to make it harder for black people to vote. That's that's kind of the, the thing that they're saying, at least at any rate, regardless of what you think about that. In response to that, there's been some corporate pushback on things like that. And, and one of the, of course, businesses that happens a lot in Georgia is the film business. Georgia, Rob, you and I know, offers some of the most enticing tax incentives for productions to come and shoot there. It's one of the reasons why we see a lot of Marvel stuff shoot in Georgia. A lot of film production. Tyler Perry set up his big studio and production thing in Georgia. Uh, a, A lot of things go to shoot there because of these really generous tax incentives. However, there has been some discussion about maybe... Some companies, particularly in the movie industry, pulling out of Georgia because of the controversy surrounding certain laws. Well, now there's been a very definitive sort of what's the best way to put this definitive and real action being taken. Now, Antoine Fuqua, terrific director, and Will Smith are, of course, working on this new film called Emancipation uh, based on the real life character of a slave who escaped and kind of became a symbol and all that kind of stuff it was set to shoot in Georgia. And I believe they've become really the first major film to stand up and saying, we are pulling our production out of Georgia. Now, again, we are not here to debate whether that was a good thing for them to do or not a good thing for them to do. We're not here to debate the political aspect of this. The bottom line fact is, we have a major film production that is now being pulled out of the state. All while... We are hearing that other film productions are considering the same thing. Even Tyler Perry, who I don't think Tyler Perry is going to go anywhere. He's got way too much money invested there. I I, I, I don't think he's going to go anywhere. But we've been hearing he's been making inquiries in places like Louisiana and, and things like that. And maybe moving out himself. Rob, where the economics of the film industry are such that. Entire productions will determine where they go based on which place will give them the best tax incentives, because that can equate to tens of millions of dollars, which is very, very real money. And it becomes a significant thing. Number one, if do you think that this move by Will Smith and Antoine Fuqua in their movie may create a domino effect where we may see more? Or do you think more studios are just going to stick with their existing plans? And if they do, how do you see that shifting? Do you think there's going to be a new hot state that pops up to become a hotbed for film production? Do you see these movies moving back to the traditional film production states of California or New York? I don't know. How do you see this kind of playing out?
1: Well, look, I mean, you know, Atlanta, Georgia became a hotbed of production the way Louisiana did before it because of tax incentives. And it became obviously very – Uh, lucrative in terms of, you know, when you have tax. So for people who don't know, when you have tax incentives, they might give you back, say, with good ones, 30 cents on every dollar that you spend. Yeah. So if you bring 100 million dollars into a state and spend it, you're going to get 30 million dollars on the back end back. So that means you could even up your budget or you could use it to defray the costs. If you're an independent filmmaker and you're making something for a million dollars, getting back $300,000 goes a long way to paying back your investment. And so that's why tax incentives are so important. And listen, uh, Hollywood money is, is big money because people, the thing about you're not, you're not spending things, there's no credit being used. Money is really changing hands. So when Hollywood comes to town, Money is being spent across many different areas. A lot of local businesses make money, certainly hotels and restaurants and bars and, and things like and that. And trades but also, and
0: crafts people. Yes, and, yeah. trades,
1: and you're talking about lumber. You're talking about expendables, all kinds of things. So bringing in Hollywood money is is really can really bolster local economies. So this is a huge thing. I mean, Marvel has been set up in Atlanta for a long time. Tyler Perry on his own accord because of his incredible success has built one of the great production facilities the world has ever seen. If he pulls out like you said I don't think he will, but this cuz this is really uh, not a good thing and it's not just Hollywood. You know, it's other businesses that are talking about leaving. And in a way, I mean, this is how you affect change through through uh, economic wielding economic power. But it also is an opportunity for many different states that, you know, mm. there are states that really have not thought about being a hotbed of production that I'm sure they're going, hmm. I mean, my own home state of Washington has never been very very friendly towards production. That's why everybody always goes to shoot in Vancouver, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's kind of been a bummer, but oh, yes, uh,
0: Canadian cities like Vancouver and Toronto have benefited very, very much from a lot of production being shipped up there. And I love oh, it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's uh, uh, Toronto and Vancouver and even Montreal. So th- th- they know what's going on. And so we'll see. I mean, y- you know, I, I think that when you have Anton Fuquan and-, and Will Smith, teaming up, I don't think they would have much of a choice. You know, they're doing a movie, isn't it, about slavery? Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, (laughs)
1: uh, you know, while Georgia would be a perfect place to shoot it, so would Louisiana. (laughs) So there you go. So it's South Carolina, you know. So, uh, you know, when you make these decisions, you got to think about the long term ramifications of them. Yeah.
0: And, and again, like I said, we're we're not here to we're not debating here or here to discuss. I'm not saying what's going on in Georgia isn't a big, important issue. I'm just saying for what the John Campion show is, it's not really germane to what it is we're talking about. But what is germane is. How does it impact the movie industry itself? Georgia has been an incredible hotbed for production. Could we start to see a domino effect of production moving out and maybe finding other states that may now find in in themselves their own incentives to set up great tax incentives for these places to come? Again, places like Vancouver, Toronto, a lot of video production happens because of those types of incentives. It's going to be interesting to see how this all pans out. Question is for you guys what do you think about that do you think the fact that they're moving emancipation out of georgia somewhere else could start a trend amongst maybe setting up some new states that have never been hotbeds for film production maybe they can be now what do you guys think jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts okay guys with all that out of the way Let's now move on to our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on The John Campion Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big story, issue, or topic that you think we should have as a main story here on The John Campion Show, just go anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. When you guys get there, you're gonna see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campier Show. With that down, let's move on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by CoolKid260, who writes, It looks like Paramount decided... Uh, (laughs) It looks like Paramount decided and changed a lot of their upcoming films with the big one is MI7 coming out next year and Top Gun Maverick now coming out this December. With everything going so well with the vaccine rollout, why would Paramount do this since this doesn't help the new streaming app Paramount Plus? All right. Thanks a lot for that, cool kid. And yes, for those of you who may not have seen or heard about this. Paramount has just moved—this just happened late last week—moved a lot of their movies, including Top Gun 2 and, of course, their new Mission Impossible movie, which has been the center of a lot of news stories as Tom Cruise has been struggling to get that thing done. They have been moving those things around, and they've both been pushed back a little bit. The question that Cool Kid asks is a very legitimate question. Why would you push these things back? when we're seeing like the success of something like Godzilla versus Kong is having more and more vaccines are rolling out. As long as you're not a state like Michigan that can't seem to get their heads around some basic (laughs) principles. Uh, In most, a lot of places in the country we're seeing COVID rates go down. Why would they make this move? I think the reason they make this move is really more for traditional reasons rather than pandemic ones. This comes to us from the folks over at deadline who write the following. Top Gun Maverick is leaving its July 2nd weekend for November 19th, taking over the release date where Paramount slash Skydance's other Tom Cruise sequel, Mission Impossible 7 resides. So, Mission Impossible 7 was supposed to come out November 19th, it is moving now, and since that spot is now vacant, they see that as a very lucrative month for this type of a movie. They decided to retake that spot back with Top Gun Maverick. Anyway, meanwhile, Mission Impossible 7 will now open on May 27, 2022, Memorial Day weekend, a holiday frame that has been the traditional home for the franchise for its first 1996 chapter and its 2,000-year uh, sequel. Top Gun 2 moves to a date where it will be up against Will Smith drama King Richard, so totally different demographic. That's, by the way, Aaron Cummings' new movie. MI7 takes over Paramount's Dungeons & Dragons four-day holiday date. Of course, Dungeons & Dragons was recently moved. uh, Putting the film up against Disney's unlimited, untitled live-action feature and uh, Lionsgate's John Wick Chapter 4. So basically, what it looks like here is that they made the decision to move these films not for pandemic reasons, but because of traditional reasons why a studio may want to move. They saw an opportunity, now that there was some empty space on the Memorial Day weekend, they thought one of our Tom Cruise movies would do great on that Memorial Day weekend. Let's move it. Moving it created a gap that they themselves were able to fill, saying, we think that's a good time for this. Yes, everything's moving in the right direction with the pandemic, but we think in November we can do even better. So they slid it over there. This, to me, especially with some space opening up, Rob, in that Memorial Day weekend, Tom Cruise is an actor who just kind of, shouts Memorial Day almost better than any other actor out there. That seemed like a good move. So actually, I look at this, and even though we've grown tired over the past year, obviously, me more than anybody, of hearing about movies getting delayed, this one actually looks like it makes sense. It it looks like a strategic move more than anything else to me, Rob. Anyway, Rob, you saw these these, uh, switching around in the release schedule thing for these two Tom Cruise movies. What do you make of it?
1: Well, look, I mean, obviously... (laughs) <laughs> We've heard all the stories about the making of Mission Impossible Seven and how difficult it was in in the world in the age of Covid. So having more time to put it together and prep Mission Impossible Eight, I think can only be a good thing. And ultimately, I'm sure Top Gun Maverick is ready to go. but letting you know they, they've shown that uh, Godzilla versus King Kong has made it made theatrical releases viable again. Even though we've got COVID cases going up around the world in places in places where it matters, cases are coming down. So I think there's a lot of people, especially Warner Brothers, that might regret the idea of it. Yep, we're going to go day and date with all of our movies in streaming and in theaters. So I think just pushing things around from this perspective, it works out all the way around. It works out scheduling-wise. It allows movies to have a little bit more time to breathe in terms of post. And look, the world – Top, well, the world's waited for Top Gun Maverick since the '80s. It can wait a little longer.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. We've been waiting forever, dude. I so it was the last Comic Con that actually happened in San Diego. Remember, there wasn't one last year. It was the one before that, where Tom Cruise came out and said, "Hey, guys, I've got a trailer for Top Gun Maverick to show you." Here we are in 2021. We still haven't got the movie. You're right. We've waited a long time. We can wait a little bit more, and I think it's going to work out for them. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this move by Paramount? I personally think it makes good strategic sense, even though I am kind of itching to see these two new movies. What do you guys think about it? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Edward I'm going to pronounce it McKay. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Who writes, Hello, John and Rob. It looks like all the vaccinations are having a positive impact on the movie world and not just Godzilla versus Kong. I just saw that Snake Eyes actually just moved up three months to release in the summer. This is great news. Why do you think they made this move now? And do you think we could start to see more films moving up their release dates? Thanks. Okay, man. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And in many ways, this is a story that is completely the opposite from the story we were just talking about. You know, we just talked about Tom Cruise moving Mission Impossible. They just moved Top Gun 2 and they moved a little bit further back. However, there were strategic reasons for that. Now we get news that Snake Eyes has just been moved up three full months from October to July and realistically... They actually did it for strategic reasons as well. This comes to us from the folks over at Deadline who write, We learned today that Paramount Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe's Origins, is moving up from its October 22nd release date to July 23rd. The G.I. Joe movies play younger, and it only makes sense for the new standalone from E1 slash Hasbro to play in the summer. And right there, Deadline, as far as I'm concerned, Rob, completely captures it. Look, they had this movie pushed off further because, you know, COVID, we're a little bit worried how long we will it take. Will they see, you know what? Godzilla versus Kong is probably going to hit $400 million. Godzilla versus Kong is probably going to hit $400 million. It's already over like $370 million worldwide. People are excited about coming back. I don't know that Mortal Kombat is going to do as well as Godzilla versus Kong, but I'm hearing a lot of people. I've already got my tickets. I know a lot of people are very excited to get to the theaters to go see Mortal Kombat. And Deadline is absolutely right. A G.I. Joe movie does play a bit younger. If the opportunity is there to play this during the summer break, you take advantage of that opportunity. And now they're seeing, as are other studios, you know what? We're in a place right now that we can start moving our movies and we can get these things open. And if a movie like Snake Eyes would play better in the summer, we can take advantage of that right now. Now, ultimately, is that the right move? I'm not 100% sure, but I think on paper it makes sense. Now, Rob, ever since they announced that Henry Golding was going to be playing the lead character, I've, I've really fallen in love with Henry Golding as a performer. I, really, I think yeah. he's got all the charm and charisma and talent in the world. I loved him in The Gentleman. Um, I loved him in A Simple Favor. I love him in Crazy Rich Asians. I just think the dude's really good, and I think he's going to play this great. But I think this is a pretty good, solid strategic move, and it just makes me even more excited to see this thing. Rob, you heard about the move to take Snake Eyes from October to July. What do you think about this?
1: Well, I think you know Paramount needs a hit, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's 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 like uh, why wait? You know they've they've their the CBS their their merger their stock prices is down. You know, I think they look at this as an opportunity to say we're back, baby, to both their investors and to the movie going audience. And they look at the I mean, who's going to go to this? Who's who's excited about Snake Eyes? Well, I guess we are <laughs> middle aged
0: Yeah. The well, 14 year olds at heart.
1: Child. I mean, I've always loved G.I. Joe. They were my first love back when they were 12 inch action figures. And so I, I want to see this. Uh, it looks it looks like it'll be very, very cool. Who doesn't want to see it? I mean, the summer movie season. Let's face it, it's not very exciting these days. But now I think as we see maybe more films making these moves back to uh, summer, maybe, maybe the summer movie season will not be the desolate uh, place that it was last year, leaving us all – our souls were empty, John. I would like to see a <laughs> summer movie season where I can get excited about, about it and maybe smile a bit. I'm getting, I'm getting my jab tomorrow and, man, I'm going back to a movie theater, let me tell and, and you. Know what, let's, and let's be honest here.
0: Snake Eyes was never going to be a seven hundred million dollar movie, right? Yeah. I mean, so, so if you can take advantage of of a summer release that's now become more tenable because of the vaccinations and stuff like that, try to take advantage of some of that momentum that's being set up by movies like Godzilla vs Kong, maybe Mortal Kombat, and you can get a good chunk now in the summer. I think it's a pretty good move, and 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 I I'm very I'm excited for it. I can't wait to see it. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this? You know, it's always good that we're now entering a period of time where we're hearing about movies getting moved forward and not just moved back. Are you looking forward to seeing Snake Eyes? I personally am. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Aaron W., who writes... Hey, John, and especially Rob, Uh, just when I was starting to think we would never get another Star Trek movie, Paramount announced today on the official Star Trek website that they will be releasing an untitled Star Trek universe movie on June 9th, 2023, which is really 2023 still sounds like it's in the like it's the future. It's just two years away. As of now, the film is untitled. While there is no news if it will be a new story or part of the Kelvin timeline, I'm excited for more big screen Trek. What are your thoughts? Thanks. Okay, Aaron, thanks a lot for sending that in. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I'm a Star Wars guy. Everybody knows that. I'm a Star Wars guy. But Star Wars gave me a love and appreciation for all things sci-fi. And my mom particularly used to like watching Star Trek and she would, you know, the old Star Trek reruns would be on. And a lot of my growing up was watching the old Star Trek reruns and I fell in love with them. And then of course, when The Next Generation came out, my mom made that a a household event to watch Star Trek The Next Generation when it debuted. And so I got into that and I I really like these things. Now, opinion is divided over... You know, the state of Star Trek, particularly once you got to the J.J. Abrams era. I, for one, really like the J.J. Abrams era movies. Uh, The second one didn't love. I didn't love the second one, but I I really love the first one. I love the third one, even though it kind of tanked financially. But I thought the third one was great. I am somebody who likes the direction of Star Trek. So I like Picard and I like Discovery and things like that. There are other people who do not. Uh, there are other people on this show today who do not, which we'll get into that in a second. But I have absolutely been looking forward to seeing a star, another Star Trek movie. I want to see another Star Trek movie. I love the initial idea that there was out there that Chris Hemsworth was going to come back as Kirk's dad, and there was going to be uh, a movie that involved you know the you know the two you I think it was George George Kirk and uh, and William. Uh, not William, that's William Shatner, uh, and and, um, uh, and Kirk. Okay, um, we're so we're going to have both of them in it. I like that idea. That one seems to have gone away. So whatever this new movie is going to be, whether it's a brand new kind of iteration, whether it's Kelvin Timeline, whether it's a, a Next Generation spinoff, whether it's a Deep Space Nine, the next generation, whether it's Voyager, the new class, whether, I mean, I do, I don't know. I do know this. Anytime you're announcing there's a new Star Trek movie coming, you're going to have my attention. And I, I like the sounds of it. Anyway, this comes to us from the folks over at Cinema Blend who write, This update comes to us from Paramount's official press team, which revealed a number of movie delays. While fans were disappointed learning that highly anticipated blockbusters like Top Gun Maverick and Mission Impossible 7 were being pushed back, there was a silver lining, namely because Star Trek is finally returning to theaters in 2023. Although exactly what this movie is remains a mystery. Now, Rob, you and I are both kind of, you and I are the poster children, I think, of the two divergent views on what we'll call quote unquote modern Star Trek. Yeah. Um, You know, I represent, you know, those of us who actually really do appreciate it. You're somebody that you want to appreciate it, you just can't. You just don't appreciate it. Even though you know you want to love all things Star Trek, but this this, this stuff hasn't worked for you. I think you and I are a good representation of the two different sides of that. <clears throat> Let me ask you a general question here. Mm. What before we get into the specifics of what do you want the new movie to be? What do you think it'll be? When you just hear, despite the status of things now, that there is a new Star Trek movie coming do you still get excited about that? Or is your take on the current state of things kind of damper that? And then where do you think they might go and what they might do with this new Star Trek movie? Because it's not going to be the Quentin Tarantino one, apparently. Which right. Which got a lot of people excited initially when they first started talking about it. But what does your heart do when you just hear new Star Trek movie? And then where do you ultimately think they might go with that?
1: <laughs> That's a big question. <laughs> I, 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 You know, I feel... Whenever I hear they're going to make new Star Trek, first of all, I get excited about it. Kind of the way I get excited about James Bond. I mean, I love these franchises. I've loved Star Trek my whole life. And for the most part, growing up, Star Trek has grown up with me. You know, there's literally from the time I was watching the original series and I thought there would be no new Star Trek as a little kid. There was the animated series. Then there was the Star Trek, the motion picture. Then there was the movies with the original cast. Then there's the next generation. And things have grown in Deep Space Nine and Voyager and Enterprise and onto the shows now. Um, What I I object to is since the J.J. Abrams era, the bad robot slash secret hideout era of Star Trek, I feel that there has been a fundamental effort uh, at the very deepest level to change Star Trek into something that it is not. And and that is a a franchise that is first and foremost about humanism and ideals and allegorical uh, storytelling about the state of humanity and where we could go in the future. It's been turned into uh, action adventure. Star Trek has always had action adventure as part of it, but it was secondary to the stories and the characters and the action came behind. And what they've tried to do is turn Star Trek into a Star Wars-esque-like franchise. And why not? Because it ain't show friends, it's show business, and they want to make more money. But I think problematically for them is these efforts. We we now have 13 years of, of – or 12 years of efforts of this new type of Star Trek, and it hasn't proved financially viable. And if you look at the J.J. Abrams era of Star Trek movies, they were very expensive – And they never justified their costs. And what I mean by that, you mentioned yourself, Star Trek Beyond. Star Trek Beyond had a production budget, a reported production budget of $185 million. That doesn't even include marketing. And worldwide, it only grossed, according to Box Office Mojo, $343,471,816. It didn't even double its production budget. Now, that is a huge financial loss for and, the and just to
0: be clear to put an explanation point on rob's point you hear some people may hear those numbers rob and think well it it made double its money it, it actually lost money it actually a needed to money. make more than that to make money so just just to drive that point home it because like, i think a lot of people still hear production budget and that's all they think and they hear the box office is bigger that means it was hugely profitable it actually wasn't it actually lost money
1: a movie has to gross three to four times Uh, it's cost in order to break even because remember the studio doesn't get back all of that 343 million it's sharing. So the studio probably, I don't know if it even made its production budget back because I feel that what's happened is they, there's a, they're, they're concentrating more on the visual effects and the, the zip and the zap and the pow of it all, the pew pew of it all, rather than the intellectual storytelling and people like, well, Rob, that's what we want. We want, but that's not what Star Trek is. And this effort to try and make it more, more like an action-adventure show as opposed to something else. I think that if they're going to make new Star Trek movies, cap the budget. Do what they did. Great Star Trek was made great because they had to figure out – they couldn't rely on special effects and action. And if you go back and you look at look at something like Star Trek The Voyage Home, that was very successful in its day when it came out in 86. Made a lot of money. Uh, And it's a character based story. It has warmth and humor and there's great special effects in it, but it's more reliant. I mean, Kirk and Spock walk into an antique store and sell Kirk's glasses to make money so they can survive in 1986 San Francisco. And that's what that's what they even have a conversation about whether they like Italian food. And it's hilarious and it's warm and it's it's what you love about Kirk, Spock and McCoy. And and there isn't that the, the equivalent of that doesn't exist in the modern the modern Star Trek movies. And I think that's the problem. And if you were to make a Star Trek movie, I would say if I was Emma Watts, I'm like, all right, guys, a bad robot. You write me a script that we can make for eighty five million dollars and you make it great and you go to the essence of what Star Trek is. We'll make that movie. I, I, I'll pre green light it right now without even knowing what it's about. But you only get eighty-five million dollars to make it. I would be interested to see what they might come up with. Well, I'm interested in that sort of ideal for almost any filmmaker.
0: I, I love hearing I the idea. hundred percent. I, I like that idea a lot. Now, 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 let me let me offer a couple of devil's advocate counters here a, a little bit. See, I somebody like me, I've I've really appreciated. Now, you're right. They have transitioned Star Trek over what is, let's say the last dozen years or so into a little bit more to incorporate more of the, the sci-fi action adventureism of it. But to me, it's been done to good effect. Now you mentioned the fact that, and you're right, that movie lost money, Star Trek beyond, but it was pretty wonderful. I mean, the, the critics, the critics score on Star Trek beyond was an 86%. The audience score on Star Trek beyond was an 80%. I mean, people enjoyed it. It was good stuff. I think there's a good way to meld the two things. The problem of course becomes that, The way Star Trek was, it was literally, the audience for Star Trek was literally dying off. We saw for over a decade, the box office continue to plummet and go into complete obscurity. Star Trek had gone into complete obscurity. It was literally dying off until they revitalized it with the J.J. Abrams one. Now, I still think that means there has to be a good balance between... Capturing the spirit of what the original stuff was, the original series, Next Generation, things like that, combined with the movie-going habits and everything of today with incorporating more of the sci-fi action adventure into it, I th- I do think there has to be a happy medium. I do too. People like me think they have struck that happy medium. There are other people that I know and really respect like you who haven't felt like they've been able to strike that happy medium. And it's it's very much – it feels like it's very much a house divided right now. It's going to be interesting to see how they come up. But I love your idea of that, like going to – them. I but I want to see them do this with Marvel movies and with DC movies too. Going to them and saying, okay, Star Trek crew, here's 90 million bucks. Yeah. Now you gotta make, you got to make this thing great based strictly on your story. Leverage the $90 million as well as you can to make it visually appealing and make it as great as you can. But I love that idea. I think that's a terrific but, idea.
1: You know, when I, when I think back, I mean, I always go back to my litmus test was the first Matrix. That movie in 99, I know it was 22 years ago, but it was a $65 million movie. And, and, and by the way, so was Deadpool uh, even though it was obviously later, but look at what the Wachowskis provided to us. They gave us unbelievable action. We'd never seen before a a, a science fiction premise that was literally mind blowing. I sat in the theater when it's revealed the red pill and the blue pill and Neil wakes up in one of those human batteries. I'm like, Oh my God. So it was intellectually amazing. And the storytelling was compelling. You give us characters that were still emulating and talking about whether it's agent smith or neo or morpheus or trinity we i want to see a the star trek version i want to see the matrix equivalent and i don't mean with necessarily that action but a story and characters that are that mind-blowing that's what star trek deserves question is for you guys what do you think about this announcement that
0: they are going to be doing a new Star Trek major motion picture? And it's not like off in the distant future. It is literally just two years away, which, I mean, really, Rob, means it would have to start going into production within the next six months, I would imagine. We don't know anything about it yet. What do you think about it? Jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move on to our fourth and final main topic today. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Junior Ote, who writes, it's uh, probably somebody I know wrote that in. Anyway, it's it's an insider thing. Okay, Junior Ote writes, Did you see that the Warner Brothers CEO just admitted that they made a mistake moving everything to HBO Max instead of doing the proper movie releases? Well, that's, that's not exactly true, Junior, but we'll get into that in a second. What do you think made, made me admit it? Probably means made him admit it. Um, uh, was it all the directors complaining about it? The other money companies? Do you think this will affect anything moving forward? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Junior. Now, what Junior's referring to here is, of course, what I think was one of the greatest mishandlings and botched situations in the history of big studio management. When Warner Brothers and Warner Media decided, without consulting their directors, without consulting the filmmakers, without consulting the shareholders, without consulting the financial stakes people, without consulting their production partners, unilaterally, without consultation, came out and made the announcements, Hey guys, all of our 2021 movies were just moving to HBO Max, and then ducked for cover. As people like Christopher Nolan, Denis Villeneuve, and other directors, James Gunn even, came out and lambasted them for that decision without talking to anybody. Of course, Legendary Pictures then came out. The company that financed a number of their big projects came out, threatened litigation, all this kind of stuff. Now, we've seen some things move, and WarnerMedia has come out recently and, and assured everybody that in 2022 they're going back to their regular theatrical model. But it was one of the biggest bonehead moves ever done you cannot make a move like that and not bring in all the the uh all the stakeholders if you will all the people who have vested interest in all these movies and consulting them letting them know what you're thinking hearing from them at the end of the day you're still Warner Media and you're going to make the decision you want to make but to not consult these people or even give them a heads up was one of the dumbest bush league moronic things that they could ever possibly do and i think what has now become apparent is that they kind of realize that's the case. This comes to us when Jason it was being interviewed on a Vox, uh, Vox's podcast, Warner media CEO, Jason Kilar said the following, there is no doubt that it was bumpy back in early December. That's when they made their stupid announcement. May. It was a bumpy ride back in early December of last year. If I had the chance to do it over again, I think it's very fair to say that we would have taken a couple more days. Why not months, you moron? We would have taken a couple of more days to see if we could have even more conversations that we were able to have. Basically, he's admitting, now, this is not, unfortunately, Junior, this is not them saying or admitting that it was a total, complete mistake to move things to HBO Max. That's not what he's saying. But he is kind of at least showing the chink in the armor and saying, we botched it. We didn't handle this right. Acknowledging that not talking to the people who have vested interest in these things, the people who have written these movies, who have directed these movies, who finance these movies, not at least having conversations with all of them to hear their point of view and to give them a heads up at the least other than, you know, a legendary, Rob, your legendary pictures, you put up $75 million to make one of their movies and you wake up, pick up your iPad and look in Variety and you see an announcement that your movie that you finance is being moved to streaming. Like, that's not the way you do business. It's not the way to foster relationships. Warner Brothers has been forever known as the director's studio. The studio directors love to work with. And now you've got all the top directors in the world saying, F you. And Denis Villeneuve actually writing an op-ed piece for Variety, destroying them. i'll I'll say this rob it is refreshing to see a studio head like jason come out because look everybody makes mistakes all every do not think for a second you don't make mistakes i make mistakes everybody makes mistakes it is very rare though to see a studio head come a little bit forward and at least a little bit say i should have done things differently at that level, it's kind of refreshing to see. And I think that is probably, Rob, I don't know this. This is just me speculating. I think this is probably an indicator of a probably a lot of conversations Jason Kilar has had to have with people at Legendary, with Christopher Nolan, with Denis Villeneuve, with hundreds, if not thousands of other directors, writers, producers, uh, who they kind of blindsided, attacked with. This was a WWE coming out of nowhere from behind with a chair across the back of your head. This is what Warner Media did to a lot of people. And it is at least kind of nice to see him saying, yeah, if I could go back and do it differently, I would. Because that at least kind of suggests that maybe that's something that won't happen again in the future. And again, we're not even talking, Rob, about whether or not it was a dumb move in general to move movies to HBO, but it's the way they did it. And how they did it, and they backstabbed a lot of their partners in the way they carried it out, which is why they a lot of them got really pissed off. It's nice to hear him acknowledge it. So it kind of brings up the whole open gate and woot again, but at the same time, I think it's a good sign that says this is probably something Warner Media and other studios hopefully won't replicate in the future. Rob, you hear Jason's comments on this. What's your reaction to them?
1: Well, I, I mean, look like you say, winning changes everything. And, <laughs> and when, when a movie like Godzilla versus Kong performs as we emerge from COVID, sure. It's easy to say, well, we're reconsidering. And obviously legendary that released that made Kong their they're, um, <laughs> they have Dune coming out and, and Jason wants to keep, he wants to keep legendary happy and, luckily legendary looks like looks like kong might even outgross 2014's godzilla at the box office so again you're playing all these games but i mean i understand where killar was coming from and and it it you got to you got to go with the flow i they made a mistake it was it, you know what kudos to him for for he's a he's a he's now one of the biggest power players in hollywood he's coming out going yeah i messed up uh, maybe i should have not done that but, you know, in the situation that they were in, basically they, they, they had to do something. And I think what they did was probably a smart move at first. It certainly didn't harm Godzilla versus Kong, this day and date thing. But then they realized that as we move out, if you, you don't want to leave, like we've always said, John, movies get value based on their box office performance theatrically. Yeah. So if a movie makes a billion dollars at the box office or even three, four five hundred million, that's a win. That means the the general public perceives these films as having value uh, more so than if they just played on streaming. And they don't want you never want to diminish that. And I think Disney's been pushing Black Panther, Black Panther, Black Widow back far, far for the same reason. You know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has value because each film on the average grosses a billion dollars. Why would they wanna upset that by releasing Black Widow before it's time when it can still even, look, if Black Widow made $500 million, that's still an epic win for Disney. So I'm thinking, man, uh, they wanna reconsider, They're, they, they are re- reacting like anybody should to different and unchanging conditions. And I think mm. it's a good move, depending on where mm. we see things could change again. Yeah, But I think for where we're at now, for Godzilla versus Kong's performance. It's the right thing to do, the right thing to say. And I think it shows great leadership as far as he's concerned. And everyone's looking at him because what is Warner Media going to do next? Well, let's
0: revisit revisit a question we've asked ourselves a couple of times. and And I think it's worth revisiting every couple of weeks because, as you say, the conditions and circumstances are constantly changing. Let's look ahead again to Dune. Dune is obviously one of the movies that Legendary was most upset about, that obviously director Denis Villeneuve was most upset about. In Now, the where we are today, I'm not going to hold you to this because where we are two weeks from now can be completely different. But where we are today, do you think Warner Media at some point will shift Dune from being a day-and-date release on HBO Max and theaters and just go strictly theatrical as the way that Legendary wants it to be?
1: What's your guess right now? You know, again, it's so it it, I think right now things are on the uptick. It looks pretty good. And and I think that they everybody wants theatrical releases. And I think that they. I mean, these movies are expensive. They have a lot of money on the table. And, you know, for things that are upcoming, like a, like a movie like Dune, they want it to have a concurrent TV series on HBO Max, the, the sisterhood of the Benny Gesserit or whatever they're going to call it. I mean, legendary Warner media, it's to everybody's benefit to get movies out theatrically first and foremost. Right. And I, I just think that that's, that's what they're trying to do. Everybody wants to do that. Yeah. You know, and what we talked about early earlier, Snake Eyes. Paramount wants to do that. You know, they're moving. I didn't spiral the Saw movie. That got moved up. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that that look. I want to see movies in the theater, but business wise, they everybody needs movies to open theatrically and do well. The whole business does.
0: Yep. The whole industry needs it. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this? I mean, it reminds me again just how dumb the move was in the first place, but it is kind of refreshing, I got to see, to see a head of a company like this come forward and say, hey, you know, I think we may have made a mistake in how we handled this. How do you guys see this and what do you think the repercussions are moving forward? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live questions that you've been sending in. We're a little bit behind on the live questions because obviously the weekends passed, had a lot come in. So let's not waste any time and get on over to the live questions you guys have been sending in here. And we're going to start getting caught up with uh, Russell Amador, who writes... Hey John, first time, uh, first time fans rallied behind the release of the Snyder Cut. Now fans have ra- ra- rallied behind the release of the Zemo Cut, and it's here. Uh, Marvel has heard us loud and clear, and released this extended cut of the coolest guy to hit the dance floor. So epic! And listen, Russell, I don't want to be a wet blanket, but here's the reality: the reality is, this is th- this whole re- for those of you guys who didn't see. Leading into the final, to to the most recent episode of Falcon Winter Soldier, Disney released as their trailer promoting it just the extended cut of Zemo dancing. Not only do we get Zemo doing this, we now have Zemo doing this. I mean, it was just a brilliant piece of marketing. But make no mistake, it wasn't Disney going. Man, our fans really want to see the extended cut of Zemo. Let's, let's be kind to them and giving it to No, 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 no. Disney <laughs> saw an opportunity to use your love of that to market their mo- to market their show. They put that thing out as a piece of marketing to manipulate us into watching the show. And that's what all marketing is. And they were right to do it. It's the same thing with the Snyder Cut stuff. I told you, everybody does it. Don't get mad at Warner Brothers for doing it. All the studios do it, including Disney. But it was brilliant. It doesn't change the fact that it was brilliant. And yeah, I got to admit, my wife and I both watched the hell out of that market spot. Watching Simo doing this just about killed me. Okay, Uh, next up. Thanks for that, Russell. Uh, Next up, we've got Brooks Kirk, who writes, Hey, John, hope you're doing well. I am doing well, thanks. I do think that Zack Snyder's Justice League did not have to uh, did not have to be rated R. That said, the film does have content that warrants an R rating: uh, two f bombs, Steppenwolf's Wolf's cutting the Atlanteans in half, uh, and his graphic death at the end. Thoughts? Thanks. Well, no, no. Listen, when I say a movie, Rob, look, often when I say a movie didn't have to be rated R, what what I'm not I'm not suggesting that there absolutely was a lack of any content in it that might justify an R rating. But rather, say like Birds of Prey. Um, Birds of Prey didn't need to be rated R. I felt like they kind of forced in a couple of things that caused the R rating, but it really didn't need to be rated R at all. Yeah, the F-bombs, by letter of the law, would kind of dictate an R rating in some ways. Although, let's be clear, this streamed on HBO Max. HBO Max doesn't have ratings. The MPAA, the MPAA does not bestow a rating upon movies going straight to streaming. That being said... Um, mythical creatures can get cut in half all the time. Doesn't really make a difference. I've <laughs> I've seen lots of shows about angels and demons, and oh hell, just go and watch uh, Hannibal. Just go and watch Mads Mickelson and ha- Hannibal. They literally had a body up on a makeshift crucifix with its skin ripped open, and they showed that on broadcast television. Um, and things you know with so I again I. Don't besmirch it, but it just didn't need to have that. I don't know, Rob. You look back on that. What do you think?
1: Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it necessarily needed it, but yeah. <laughs> I think it was fine.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> so, totally fine,
1: totally fine. Yeah, but you like you said, it's all marketing. Uh, and I, I, I have to say that what I really like is I like seeing. I like seeing people responding to the fan base or the viewers or the audience, and I, I always I always like it. Look when 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 I think I have to go back to like something like say Deadpool. If Deadpool didn't have the most knowing marketing to appeal to its audience, I think people look back at that and go, "That was the way to market a film to the very audience that we expect to be watching."
0: Oh, it was one of the most perfect targeted marketing. Yeah, ever in movies. It was one of the most perfectly marketed movies ever.
1: Totally. And I feel that that there's a lesson to be learned there. And I think that, um, you know, we're still seeing the ramifications of that. Well, even today. So,
0: yeah. All right. Next up, we've got great Grabthar's hammer who writes, hey, John, here's a kaiju matchup for you. Kong and Godzilla versus Starro. Of course, that's the uh, DC character who popped up in the new upcoming uh, Suicide Squad trailer. Also, two films for Movies in 20 if you deem them worthy. Galaxy Quest and the masterpiece that is The Room. Uh, may the filthy ever be with you, uh, Hobo John. All right, thanks a lot for that uh, great crap, Tharish Hammer. Uh, and, oh yeah, Starro. I mean, I, I can't wait to see it. I love that Suicide Squad trailer. I can't wait to see that. But I, I will let you guys know that we will not be doing Movies in 20 anymore. I have uh you know when I started up movies in 20 I said you know I like this idea so we're going to try it and we're going to see if you guys like it and if you do great we'll keep going and if you don't well oh, that's okay we tried it and we'll move on and try something else I I have I just well I think we did 3 great videos I think the 3 movies in 20 that we did for Gladiator, Last Starfighter and Mystery Men I think they are I think they're great videos and they're great and fun to watch but the reality is, they've only got about like ten thousand views each. I mean, like one's got thirteen thousand, whatever views. That, that's that's, but it's just the amount of work and effort that it requires to put in. There's like, it takes. It took me like two days to write the script. It took Ray. It takes. Uh, it took me when I was editing them. It took me like three days to edit. So there's like five days right there. It took me two days to write the script for the Gladiator one. It took Ray about four or five days to edit that. Ray edited that one. When you look at the amount of time and resources that needs to go into making them, getting like 10,000 views isn't enough. And what that told me was that while I got a big kick out of those types of videos, not everybody does. And so, you know, that's that's been my whole career. Like everything from AMC and Collider and on, I am not afraid to try something new And if it's not working, I'm not afraid to step back from it and move on and try something else. So, yeah, I've pulled the plug on the Movies in 20 thing uh, just because we just haven't been getting enough views on it. But we are still doing more editorial videos. And I'm very excited about the next one we're putting out. Uh, That's going to be coming out, I think, on Wednesday or Thursday. We're going to be putting the new one out. So I'm looking forward to that. But there you go. All right. Let's move on here. Next up, uh, we are going to uh, Big Will who writes, Hey, John. I know video games don't have the best reception when it comes to film adaptation. That's an understatement. Uh, but what do you think about the Mafia video game series being made for t- for film or TV, especially Mafia Definitive Edition has a cinematic feel to it? Rob, I mean, for me, it's it's always this. It's irrelevant. It really is. I, I have come to the conclusion that you can name any video game franchise. It's a completely irrelevant. It doesn't matter how good or bad the video game is it really doesn't matter at all we've seen some of the best video game franchises turned into some terrible movies it doesn't matter we've seen it's just like comic books rob dr doom you're going to find very very few people that will argue that dr doom isn't one of the best comic book villains of all time (laughs) and they've put him in movies three times and all three times it's been terrible so it doesn't matter all that matters is does a screenwriter and a director come along that has a vision for the property to create something that is great on its own? And that's all that matters. It doesn't matter that Dr. Doom's a great comic book villain. It doesn't matter. That doesn't mean it's going to be a good movie. That doesn't mean he's going to be a good character in the movie. It doesn't matter. You can take some of the stupidest stuff ever. Who the F cares about polka dot man? Who cares about Polka Dot Man?
1: Oh, you will, John.
0: But you, you put will. it into the hands of a James Gunn <laughs> who may have a vision for it, and it could be awesome. I mean, it's, yeah. I'm excited about it already. So when it comes to the video game question, it doesn't matter. Like there's certain very, very few video games like A God of War or Last of Us. But that's so rare that, I, I, that you can look and say this definitely has cinematic potential. It doesn't matter if it's a great video game or a terrible video game. In the hands of the right director and, and writers, you could make something great. In the hands of the wrong directors and writer, it could be terrible. I don't know, Rob. What do you think about that?
1: Well, uh, you know, uh, again, I've always believed that with the right story and the right character development or whatever, you can, you can make any story interesting. And any story good, but you have to have people that really know, you know, like I think about Charlie Kaufman and movies like he wrote, uh, uh, the, the eternal sunshine, of the spotless mind, I think, uh, and adaptation and stuff like that. I'm like, who would have thought movies like that would work, you know, but, but they did. Or I, I think about Spike Jones's movie, her, you know, you're, you're, you care about the romance between an operating system By and the way, Joaquin Phoenix,
0: Scarlett Johansson. Almost got an Academy Award nomination for that movie, and she wasn't even in the movie other than no, her no, voice.
1: <laughs> no, and, and I look at – I think what James Gunn – obviously, James Gunn has a way of, of making us care. I mean, look what he did with Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, obviously, Slither and Super painted the way and show what he's able to do. Yes. Again, not with big budgets, but with wacky characters and a good story. And he did the same thing. I mean, I keep thinking about the first time you meet Rocket and Groot and Star Lord and and Gamora. They're having they're chase they're they're on um what is it Xandar and they're they're in that outdoor mall having that big chase scene going after the 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 thing that Star Lord's recovered. You know the I, I mean that's I guess it's an Infinity Stone, right? Um, it's hilarious, <laughs> and it's an action scene, and you're watching a, a giant tree and a raccoon and a green lady and Star Lord uh, in a mall <laughs> on a space on, on a planet. Like, who would have thought that would work? But it does because the characters are established and you love them. I'm all. All I need to do is see Polka Dot Man saying, "We're all going to die." I hope so. You know, just, just, just that line. I mean, I'm like, I'm in. I don't even care. I, I already care about Polka Dot Man. I've only seen the trailer. One line of dialogue. His delivery, and that that's it. I'm in. All right. Next up,
0: we got Suthius, who writes... Hey, guys, as much as y'all have been talking, I've uh, been longing to frequent cinemas again in the past year. Uh, have y'all been looking forward to heading back to Disney or Universal? I asked because the new era Avengers Campus will open on 6-4 at California Adventure, and it looks awesome. Yeah, actually, Ann and I were just at Universal uh, yesterday. Or no, two days ago. Two days ago, I think. Ann and I were at Universal. Uh, we have been annual pass holders at Disneyland for, for five or six years. We've been very much looking forward to going back to Disneyland. So we're going to wait till it opens. We're going to see what their safety protocols are. If I think they look good, we'll go. Now, of course, Ann and I will both be fully vaccinated by then. I'm getting my second uh, Pfizer vaccination in a couple next week. Next week, I'm getting my my second uh, Pfizer vaccination. So I'll be all vaxxed up. Um, But yeah, I do miss the parks, man. I really do miss going to the parks. All right, next up. Uh, Big Will writes, "Uh, hey, John, I'm a huge fan of Arthur Michael Connolly. He did uh, like uh, Lincoln Lawyer and stuff like that. Anyway, I wanted to know your thoughts of the upcoming series finale of Bosch. Also, with Lincoln Lawyer show underway starring Manuel Garcia uh, Rolfo, uh, do you think they will do a Renee Ballard series starring Sophia Bush? Well, listen, I'll be honest with you. I watched like the first season. I might have watched the first two seasons of Bosch, but I did not keep up with it. I didn't keep up with Bosch. Also, the Lincoln Lawyer, I am looking forward to it, but it is kind of unfortunate because Lincoln Lawyer was set to go, I believe it was at CBS. It might be at CBS now, but uh, forgive me if I'm getting that detail wrong, but before the pandemic, Rob, I don't know if you knew this, Lincoln Lawyer, the TV series, was set to go, I believe it was CBS. Our own Aaron Cummings had a, full-time cast role in that show yeah she was cast for a full-time role in that show and then the pandemic hit and a lot of the networks just axed a lot of their projects Lincoln Lawyer was one of them it went to a totally different network and they so they did their own kind of tinkering with what the show was going to be and did their own casting and now Aaron's out of it so uh that that was a big 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 unfortunate thing that happened to Aaron on that one but um, I haven't kept up with Bosch, so I cannot say whether thing and what they may spin off from that again, until we actually see what this thing's going to be. It's impossible to say. I like Sophia Bush. I used to like her in, uh, that Chicago PD show, but yeah, I just don't have a take on that. Rob, have you, have you been watching Bosch at all? Have you been keeping up with that?
1: Yeah, because I've read the, a lot of the books right. uh, and I love Titus Welliver. Uh, oh, I, I, I love him. He's great. And also, he's a huge as John Schnepp used to say. He's a huge sweaty, like he <laughs> collects hot toys figures. And I I worked with him once on this this thing that and and he first of all it, what a terrific guy, but total, as I call them, imagination connoisseurs. And I really love the show. And I you know it's one of those things I catch up with after it's bit like the seasons out or whatever the whole thing, and I'll stream it. Uh, but I've, I'm caught up, and I'm I'm bummed out that it's ending because I like I like the show, but. I I love Michael Connelly's L.A. noir novels, and um, I'm looking forward to whatever they do. And I like the Lincoln Lawyer movie. I watched it just the other day, like late night going to bed. I watch it on streaming, the uh, Matthew McConaughey version. And I just – I liked it, you know, and I'd seen it. I probably watched that movie four or five times. Maybe I shouldn't have, but I like that movie. I like his performance. So anything they do with the Michael Connelly stuff, I'm in. Count me in.
0: All right, next up. We go to Ryan Loner, who writes, once the pandemic is reasonably over, we need to get all the frontline workers together and tell them you bow to no one. Now, listen, I, I know several people who are frontline workers and just what they have been through and what they have allowed themselves to go through to be of help to other people. You can't overstate enough. Well said, Ryan. All right. Texas Boy writes. With all your hobbies, tech shows, sports, the MMA, uh, TV shows, movies, video games, YouTube shows, uh, you create five days a week, a marriage, reading, praying. I'm wondering how in the world do you find time in your life to keep up with all this stuff? It's not easy. I don't often have a lot of time. Um, It it is. But listen, everybody's got work and family and and hobbies and and things they're passionate about we all do we all just find a way to bandage our time man we just you find a way to make it all work my friend and then you make choices like there I don't have room for everything I'd like to have in my life I don't have room for it all so you make choices about what you do want to have into it and then you kind of just make it make it work and if you can't then you gotta cut a few things out all right next up Thanks for asking though, man. I appreciate that. Calvin uh Severo Panel writes John, you talk sometimes about the Tom Holland contract being up. The news sites say No Way Home is the last one in his contract. Well, Tom Holland has confirmed that himself. But didn't the Sony slash Disney contract guarantee Holland on the Disney on one Disney movie? Uh maybe an Avenger or even a Doctor Strange 2. Thanks. Well, Rob, unless I'm mistaken, yeah. Doctor Strange 2. <laughs> That's that's the uh, that's the other character's MCU movie that he is appearing in. He's shooting that film, I believe, as we speak. They might even be done shooting it. I'm not sure. Uh, but, he, yeah, you're going to see Tom Holland in Doctor Strange 2, and you're going to see Tom Holland in uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Now, that might be the final movies we see him in. His sp- There's several options here, Rob. Number one. It could be the final time we see Tom Holland as Spider-Man is in these two films. Option number two, it will be the last time we see Tom Holland as Spider-Man in the MCU, but we will see him continue as Spider-Man in the Sony universe. That's another option. Option number three is that Sony and Marvel will once again re-up their deal and extend this arrangement which I'll be honest is the one I would like to see happen because I think the movies that Sony and Disney have been putting together in partnership have been really enjoyable and I've been having a good time watching these movies. So yeah, maybe we don't see him anymore. Maybe they extend the contract or maybe we see him playing Spider-Man over for Sony, which is what Tom Holland was going to do back a couple of years ago when, when it looked like the Disney and Sony deal had fallen apart before they re-upped it. So yeah, it looks like these, for now, under the current deal, these are the last two movies. Rob, out of those three potential circumstances, which one do you think is going to actually end up happening? No more Tom Holland, Tom Holland and Sony, or Sony and Marvel extending their deal? Sony and
1: Marvel are going to extend their deal. I think so, too. Uh, they're going to extend their deal because it's a win-win for everyone. I mean, look at how much m- money Venom made. You've got you've got Morbius and Venom. Uh, there will be Carnage coming out. So they've got their own version. And the fact is, they're getting free marketing every time Marvel puts out a Sony movie uh, 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 that Tom Holland's in a in, in a Sony release film because <laughs> he's also in the MCU. So the very existence of the MCU is advertising for Sony. It's a win win for everyone, and I I think that they would be foolish not to extend the um the contract. I mean, uh, wh- what where's the downside? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, they're the I, ones, you know, they're still releasing the Spider-Man movies, and unless, yet they're partnered up.
0: Unless Sony has, like, some grand plan for what they want to do on their end. But I I, I agree with you. I think, I, I mean, I don't know, but I think at the end of the day, you're right. I think we are going to see that Disney and, and Sony are both like, we're all making a lot of money. Right. <laughs> so why don't I we mean, just keep doing that? And I think that's probably what will happen.
1: I do too, because, and plus for the audience, why, if you were to say, sorry, Spider-Man can't be in the MCU anymore. Well, that's not exactly what your audience wants to hear. (laughs) I I think that would be kind of another (laughs) PR nightmare. Look what happened when we thought Spider-Man was being pulled from the MCU before. Yeah. I mean, Tom Holland's like, well, that kind of (laughs) blows. You know (laughs) I mean? And, you know, I think also Tom Holland wants to take some time off. He said that he wants to, like, take a year off and be a young adult and because he, he's worked nonstop since, like, 2015. Yeah. So, so you know, they'll, they'll, they'll do the Spider-Man thing. You got the new Spider-Man movie coming out. You finish the trilogy. You're going to have Spider-Man in the MCU. And then he can take a breather.
0: Yep. Yep. I, 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 I agree. I think that's the way it's going to work out. All right. Next up, we got uh, Max Vinicius Arruda writes – it was Crisis, John. Crisis changed Zemo's backstory. <laughs> How is he suddenly a rich dude? Anyway, on a, a non related note, I genuinely liked I Am Number Four and read the books. Is there potential for a TV series for them? Digimon as well. Why haven't they made a live action movie about them? Well, we'll stick to the one question about I Am Number Four. Um, look, they tried to make a movie out of I Am Number Four. I thought the idea was good. Um, I I think it had some potential, but the reality is the movie tanked. And so once that happened, when they didn't make a terrible movie, the I'm number four movie wasn't terrible. It wasn't anything super special to write home about, but it wasn't terrible. And it's still completely tanked. So I I think that kind of put a seal on it. Now, you never know. Studios are always looking for IP. Maybe they'll go back to it someday, but I, I think we've probably seen the last of it. Who knows though? All right, next up. Wakanda forever writes, wow, 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 no spoilers. Falcon and the Winter Soldier may have just surpassed WandaVision as my favorite show now. Unbelievable. Loved every second of it. Wakanda forever. Again, to me, I have enjoyed Falcon and Winter Soldier, but I have not loved it until that episode. That latest episode for me completely changed the page, turned the page for me on that. And I cannot wait to see what they do with the next couple of episodes. Uh, Wakanda also writes, Bruce Lee and Brandon Lee, they made some of my all-time favorite films, martial arts action, Rapid Fire, Enter the Dragon, superheroes with Kato and The Crow. Looking forward, uh, looking back on their careers, it's pretty wild when you think about it. True legends. Rob, I'm going to say something very unpopular. Uh-oh. I'm going to say something very unpopular. But you know me, I don't care if it's popular and popular, I just give my honest opinion on things. And you can agree or disagree with me. I never thought Brandon Lee was very good. I never thought he was a very good actor. I mean, it was incredibly tragic. And lightning in a bottle happened with The Crow, and and that worked out very well. But if I'm being honest with you, I I actually never thought Brandon Lee was all that good. And that's why when when they talk about doing a new new Crow movie and people say, you can't possibly replace Brandon Lee, I'm like, can't you though? Can't you though? Anyway, that, this is kind of my take. What, what do you think about that,
1: John? I think that Mother is the name of God on the lips of all children, <laughs> and it can't rain all the time. Come on, man. The Crow, the Crow is like is like the goth equivalent of. It's the Godfather know. of goth. It is. It's the Godfather it of goth. The, the same way that Bauhaus's Bella Lugosi's Dead is the stairway to heaven of goth. The Crow. Is it, the Crow and the Hunger are are the end all be all goth movies of all time? So I would never presume. T- and I love the Crow, by the way. I love the Crow. A lot of I people do. Alex yeah, Blaze's, it's one of my favorite comic book adaptations. And I I I like. Could you get somebody to perform better? Sure. Sure. And I'm I, I'm with you. I mean, there are a lot of, can you imagine Daniel Day-Lewis as the crow? Come on. <laughs> Might be a little old now, but but at the time, if you had the, uh, in the name of the father, Daniel Day-Lewis, he could have been, he could have been Eric Draven, but he wasn't. But I, I, no, I Look, was Brandon Lee the greatest actor in the world? No, but he didn't have the time to develop into one. Unfortunately, his career sure. was cut short. Yeah.
0: Who knows, who knows where he could have where he could have evolved
1: to who knows but i love me some crow john i love me some crow not eating crow but the movie the crow. (laughs) a lot of people
0: do a lot of people do all right
1: next up shame roxas writes here's my billion
0: dollar idea godzilla and kong versus cthulhu and the whole lovecraftian mythos boom you know what again i'm gonna say something unpopular the lovecraftian mythos isn't actually all that popular amongst pop culture i'm not saying it shouldn't be but it's not that. So I don't know that that's a billion dollar idea. I don't know, Rob, but what do you think? Do you think that would capture the imaginations of the, of the wide audience en masse? What do you think? Do you think more people would rush out to see Godzilla versus Kong versus like Lovecraftian kind of mythology? Or would more people run out to see them versus Jaegers from Pacific Rim? I don't know. What do you think?
1: I, well, look, I love Lovecraftian mythology. I love Cthulhu. I love the old ones, the idea, but they're a little weird. You know, the whole idea of Jaeger's to me, we've already got Pacific Rim. It, it generated a sequel. It was huge in Asia. And besides, Godzilla has a history of teaming up with robots like Jet, jet, jet Jaguar yep. to fight yep. like Megalon. So I think people would look, I think we need Guillermo del Toro to make In the Mountains of Madness, which would be the ultimate. If you want to bring in the Cthulhu mythos, we need a movie first that establishes. I mean, there's been Lovecraft movies like From Beyond or even John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness is kind of a Lovecraftian movie. But let Guillermo del Toro make In the Mountains of Madness. I don't know why they haven't. But Jaegers and Godzilla go together like chocolate and peanut butter.
0: (laughs) I like that. All right. uh, Next one up. We've got Meister 25 who writes, DC fans, hey, can we get some of that Snyderverse? Uh, Warner Brothers, nah. Marvel fans, hey, can we get the Zemo cut? Disney, hell yeah. Uh, moral of the story, I just feel bad for DC fans. Uh, is it just me or does it feel like Warner Brothers doesn't respect their fans? Okay, Jay Meister, I, I'll, I'll tell you what. That is, um, that's, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. I'll tell you why it's nonsense. Uh, Number one, if you don't know the difference, my brother, Jay Meister, you're my film loving brother. Come on. So let me talk to you like my film loving brother here. If you don't know the difference between the kind of commitment and what it would take to put out, put out three more movies versus hire a college kid to edit together a little 30 second ad that you can put up on YouTube. If you don't know the difference between those two things, I don't know how to help you. There is no comparison between Continue the Snyderverse versus throwing up a commercial for something. These are not equivalent. You cannot say one is the same as the other or anything like that. Uh, So there's that. Let's not compare those two, brother. The other thing is this. Rob, this is a a larger problem with all film fandom. It's a larger problem with all film fandom. Everybody mistakes the tribe they're in. As representing all the fans. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I I have heard people say, you know, the fans want this. And I would, and I have to stop my friends and say, wait, no, no, you want that. And maybe some like-minded people, but you do not represent all the fans. But that is a mistake people always make like I have heard that like talk about the fans demand that uncle Ben be in in spider-man no you demand that uncle Ben be in spider-man a hell of a lot of the other fans don't care if uncle Ben is in the spider-man thing that's just the reality a lot of fans don't you do not represent the fans and I'm sorry to tell you this but the people who want Snyderverse continues are not do not represent all of the fans just like me wanting something like when i would talk about certain things from supernatural like yeah would i want a new supernatural film yes i'd love to see a supernatural film but i do not represent the fans and that is a common thing amongst Star Wars fans, Star Trek fans, Mm. Harry Potter fans. You know, everybody's got their own position on something, and they say, well, the fans want this. It's like, no, you and a bunch of your friends and other like-minded people do, but you do not represent all the fans. So, I don't know. Rob, what's your kind of take on that? Because I I think this isn't just a DC thing. This is a Marvel thing. This is a Star Wars thing. This isn't every fandom thing. We all got the same problem. I don't know. How do you see
1: that? Well, you know, I... I love me fans. I've been one my whole life. But I think frequently what fans don't understand is the economic realities of making all the things that we're fans of. You know, there's a lot of competing forces and different things and and what's going on and who's making those choices. And when you see something like, look, Marvel and especially uh, you, you've got Kevin Feige, Victoria Alonso and Luis Desposito, they can do whatever they want they've earned the right, they, they, they're making money, they are very much in touch with their fan base, they, they've got their fingers on the pulse. And when they released that Zemo dancing video, which by the way, was hilarious, I, as a fan, was like, it's too bad they didn't go into the dailies and get all of Zemo's dancing footage and recut some epic. <laughs> That's what I wanted. As a fan, I'm like, well, all they did was give us the few shots that he was in and repeat them for an hour. So my fandom as a filmmaker and an editor, I'm like, you know, they could have gone into the uh, they could have gone into the vault, got those dailies and shown us all of the dancing footage. So I was like, it was fine, but they could have done a better job with that Zemo dancing video. That's where I was coming from. And I think a lot of fans are that we're like we're like, like we, we get something. You know, like that Zemo dancing video, which that alone was hilarious that it was officially released. So you should <laughs> sit there and go, wow, Marvel really, they've got their fingers on the pulse. But I'm sitting there going, well, it wasn't as good as it could have been. It could have been better. But <laughs> And isn't that and what that's, we that, do? We all do that, that. that. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, we all do that. When we sit there, look, if something is bad, like when we watch, if you see bad, bad characterization and bad storytelling, we can all bitch together but but a lot frequently when we do get things that are good or great efforts or something we they go unrecognized we always want more and i, I think look everybody wants to sell their product and me, make no mistake john movies are product we all they all want these they all want us to love what they're making they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars if if batman v superman doesn't make a billion dollars at the box office they wonder why what did we do wrong you know, they want us to love what they're giving us. They're spending hundreds of millions of dollars making it. It's not like DC's going, screw those people. Well, and here's the funny thing. And again,
0: we've all done this. We have all done this. I'm, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody because we're all guilty of this. But I go back to what Jay Meister writes. It's like, man, you know, DC doesn't respect their fans. Okay, first of all, you don't represent all the fans. We all, each one of us represents a segment of the fans. But what did Warner Brothers do? even though it was completely counterproductive to the direction they're trying to go in, they went back, they spent $70 million so Snyder could make the Snyder Cut. They pulled in some of the actors in again to shoot new stuff. They made a four hour cut of the movie and put it out on HBO max. And in return, they get fans going, you don't respect us. What the fuck do you want them to do? Do you want them to come over and give you a little reach around at night? So you can go to sleep. Like they, they put up 40, $70 million on a movie. They've already moved on from brought in actors put months of work into it, brought in post-production people and put out a four-hour thing on HBO Max and they have the audacity to go, they don't respect us. Come on, what more do you want? I mean, they, by the they, way, I want but we all 4K. do it. I'm guilty of it, too. I'm told I've done this with other with with my fandom on other things, too. We've I do it, too. And I look back at some of the way my little entitled fan part of me and I look back at some of the things I've done and said and go, what the fuck was I saying? But we've all done it. it's part of being a fan.
1: I mean, I want I'm like, well, I'm not going to be happy unless my Steiner cuts out on 4K Blu-ray in a steelbook. Well, guess what? It's going to be. <laughs> and I've got many, many choices of which steelbook I want to buy. So there you go.
0: <laughs> and again, Jay Meister, I, I I I say that as my film loving brother, man. I say that to you as my film loving brother, because I've done it too. We've all done it. It's part of we are we as fans are are often and I speak for myself. We're often illogical. We don't really think something through. And, and I do it all the time. And we do it all the time. And it's I don't know it's what we do. Anyway, listen, I just realized we've taken Rob overtime here. Rob, thanks a lot for being here uh, t- today, my friend, and for being a part of this. In the meantime, uh, Rob, where can people follow you and your adventures online?
1: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at BurnettRM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, dude. Thanks a lot for being here. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Have a good one. All right, you too, man. Ladies
0: and gentlemen, the one and the only, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Make sure you check him out and make sure you also check out his other projects he's got going on. Go look up the trailer for Tango Shalom. I think there are some online film festivals. You can find that film. Also, make sure you go and watch that uh, project that he's been working on for a long time. Dota, that's now on Netflix. He was a part of that as well. You can see his name in the credits and everything. Anyway. That is the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. We still have time here, though, today. So let's keep on rolling through your questions. Next one up comes to us from Scott Brown, who writes... I watched Wolf Walkers. I've been having a lot of people telling me about this. I watched Wolf Walkers on Apple Plus last night in prep for the Oscars. What an amazing movie! And the animation is so beautiful to me. Uh, this studio is right up there with uh, Laika and Pixar. Song of the Sea, Secret of the Kells, and Breadwinner are amazing too. Listen, I have never, I had never even really heard of Wolf Walkers. I mean, a little bit, but knew nothing about it. But lately I've been having a number of you guys writing in to say, "John, you got to go on Apple Plus and watch this Wolf Walker's thing." So, I have got it on my queue. Thanks to you guys telling me and recommending it to me constantly. Probably by the end of tomorrow I should have watched Wolf Walker. So now I'm down to watch it too. So thank you guys for your recommendations and thanks for throwing your support behind it as well. Scott, appreciate that, man. All right, next up. Um uh, let's see here. Uh, Dex Star writes, "Hello, hope all is well." To the person that said a movie should be made with just Godzilla and Kong, you have to understand that if the idea was feasible, then in all of Godzilla's sixty-six years of films, it would have happened. Also, Primal has uh, Primal has human humans in it. It does. Um, yeah. So, hold, hold on a 2nd I'm just going to type something in here. Um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to ignore it. I'm not going to say anything anyway. Um, yeah, so a lot of people have been bringing up the ideas, man, just make a Godzilla and Kong thing without any humans, but that becomes very boring and very stale, very quick, right? You can't just have Godzilla going from one scene, fighting a monster to the next scene, fighting a monster to the next scene, fighting a monster to the next scene. scene. I mean, that would get very fatiguing, very quick. The problem I've said this before. I'll say it again. The problem is not that humans are in these movies, The problem is, in movies like Godzilla vs. Kong and King of the Monsters, they don't write the humans well. They don't give them important, functional things to do that drive the story forward. They're just kind of there. A great example of that, and I'll talk about this in an upcoming video, Millie Bobby Brown, who I really like. I really like Millie Bobby Brown. And she gave a perfectly good performance in Godzilla vs. Kong. So this is no disrespect on her at all. But, sorry there was no reason for her character to even be in the movie. Her presence in that movie did not affect the outcome of the narrative in any way. At least the little girl had narrative purpose, like the actions of the little girl and Rebecca Hall, their, their characters were actually responsible for moving Kong from place to place and being where he needed to be and influencing Kong in the actions that he took. The Millie Bobby Brown character had no influence on the movie I, again, but I'll go into that in an upcoming video that we're going to talk about a bit. So again, the key is um, the key is not to take humans out. It's just to do a better job writing them and having a better purpose for them being there, while keeping the focus on the the the, the headliners, the monsters themselves. Anyway, that's kind of my take on it. At any rate, thanks for that, Dexstar. Next up, Dex also writes: Hello again. Growing up as a film fan, it was it always bugged me that people who drag uh, that people who drag movie theaters every chance they got, even to to this day. As soon as COVID started, here comes the th- the haters. Uh, I've had bad times at them before but I but I don't damn the whole industry I mean it's true look there are people it's it's about taste and preference right to some people they don't like leaving the house all good I often don't like leaving the house so it's all good. Some people like me truly value the true movie experience, which is being in a theater, giant picture, giant sound, surrounded by other film fans, having that shared experience that cannot be replaced by watching it at home. But it all depends. Like it's as unique as the subjectivity of movies themselves. Different people experience things in different ways. So, I mean, it is what it is. Every, different strokes for different folks, I believe, is the old saying goes. So something like that. So it's whatever. All right. Next up. Uh, Lil Mac 12 writes, Hey John, I'm curious if you've seen the trailer for the upcoming Netflix series, shadow and Bones. Somebody wrote in and asked about that the other day. Actually, it looks incredible and I'm not sure why it's not getting a lot of buzz. The cast is stunning. The visuals, story look even better. Have an awesome day. I, I will tell you what I said last week. Wh- like when I did see the trailer, I, I got to admit, I was not blown away by the trailer. I think it's interesting and I like Ben Barnes. So seeing Ben Barnes in there is pretty cool. I think it's interesting, but I'm not going to lie. I don't think the trailer did a terrific job of really capturing my imagination and giving me a real sense of what is this about. And so I watched it and I thought, looks interesting. So I'm interested, but yeah, it it didn't... It didn't bump up my needle very much. You know, I'm You know i always saying that the job of a trailer is to take however excited you are for a show or a movie, no matter how high or how low that excitement is, and bump it up a couple of notches. It didn't really bump up my excitement any, any maybe one or two little notches, but I, I personally didn't think the trailer was great. Hopefully, the show will be. All right, next up, uh, we go to Dad Jokes, who writes, hey, John. As an American Asian, I think it's quite funny to hear about your adventures with your mother-in-law. Of course, my mother-in-law, Ann's mom, is Filipino, of course. Uh, this is an opportunity to teach your fans about Asian culture. Asians are often very blunt. True. Uh, also specifically, Filipino culture is a matriarch culture. You know what's funny? Are you guys familiar with the comedian uh, Joey Coy? Are you guys are any of you guys familiar with the comedian Joe Coy? He's hilarious. Joe Coy is absolutely hilarious, but I nearly laugh myself sick. I nearly laugh myself sick Um, whenever he starts talking about his fil- Filipino mom. Joseph, the way only he does it. Joseph, because now that I am married into a Filipino family, and I have Filipino in-laws. When he starts, first of all, if you ever want to watch my wife, Anne, and Ray, like nearly cry themselves into unconsciousness from laughter, it's watching Joe Coy talking about Filipino moms. It is some of the funniest stuff. And I don't know that I would be able to appreciate it as much that were I not to have a Filipino stepmother or a, a mother-in-law, I should say, were I not to have a Filipino mother-in-law it was, it is truly hilarious. It is truly hilarious. And I am learning more and more. Now I'm not going to pretend that I know a lot about Filipino culture. I simply don't. I think I know more about Filipino culture than the average person does just because I am married into a Filipino family, but I've not been immersed into the Filipino culture of it all. Right. So that's where I'm at, but it's, it's certainly a great experience. I, I love my family.